heaven. Most of us want to go there, read about it, sing songs about it, and hear sermons preached about it. But is heaven real to us? In this earthbound daily existence, heaven may sometimes seem unattainable, perhaps even unimportant, yet heaven is our ultimate goal. As God's children, we will spend eternity there. And so knowledge of our heavenly home and the anticipation of eternal life with God the Father should strengthen us in our weakness, disperse depression, and brighten our darkness. I'm Charlie Messenger. I'm an actor and a minister. But in this video, I'm not acting, nor am I preaching. I just want to present to you some heavenly facts and truths and allow you to come to your own conclusions. When you travel, you chart your routes by map. You make reservations. You plan activities and visits. You discover all you can about the locales you're going to visit. In short, you prepare for the trip. So with even greater anticipation, you should prepare for your heavenly trip. Discover all you can about that heavenly home. Life on earth here is a journey of a pilgrim. And this earth is a temporary tent. Here we are foreigners and strangers. Because we are created in God's image, heaven is our true home. And coming home always excites. How much more when we come home to our Creator? Since we are created in God's likeness, we have a body, soul, and spirit. A body is the shell in which the soul and spirit live. The soul has the capacity for thought in the mental process, and our spirit has the capability to realize the spiritual world. And although soul and spirit can't be seen to the physical eyes, they make up the real you and me. Therefore, it is essential that we be born again, spiritually, in order to enter the spirit world and heaven. Throughout the Bible, the number seven, symbolizing God's perfection, is repeated. God created the heaven and the earth, and he rested on the seventh day. In Revelation, there are seven churches, seven lamps, seven stars, seven spirits, seven seals, seven trumpets, and so on. There are also seven dimensions in the universe. Our physical body exists in the third dimension, our soul in the fourth dimension. Our spirit, however, is in the fifth dimension, and God resides in the seventh dimension. As long as we remain in the fourth dimension, we cannot enter the spiritual world of heaven. And since many people believe that the fourth dimension is the highest state achievable, they have no perception of the spiritual world. That's why Jesus stated, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But even though heaven is in the spiritual world, it is not an illusion or a state of mind, as many folks think. As the scripture tells us, heaven is an actual place. For example, John 14, one through four, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Ephesians 1, 
20 and 21, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Still, many Christians have a tendency to believe that heaven exists only in our hearts. And while it is true that our heart is the temple of the Holy Spirit while we're here on earth, it does not mean that there is no actual heaven. In fact, the Bible gives us a hint that heaven is located somewhere deep in space, far beyond the solar system, north of the earth. Marvin Ford's biography, On the Other Side, describes it like this. He says, I am often asked the location of this majestic throne, and as I was caught up from the hospital bed, I seemed to be spinning through outer space in a northerly direction. Also, the Bible tells us that earth is a mere shadow of heaven. As beautiful and breathtaking, majestic and wonderful the Edens of this earth are, they do not and cannot compare with the paradise our Creator has prepared for those who love Him. In fact, all of those who have experienced heaven agree, its beauty and majesty, glory and grandeur are far beyond human description. Mortal tongue cannot express it. Yet we can try to grasp some picture of heaven's majesty and glory, a kingdom ruled and harmonized by God the Creator of the universe. It is His dwelling place, His city, His headquarters and the home of His family. And heaven is Jesus' home. From heaven He came, and His mission on earth was to teach us about heaven. For heaven's sake He suffered, and He has returned to heaven to prepare mansions for us, that where He is, we can be too, to share with Him the glory and riches of that eternal home. Heaven is also the home of biblical characters who walked with God and the eternal resting place of our loved ones who in the arms of the Lord have gone on before. It is a paradise of rejoicing and reunion. And even though it is impossible to describe it in humanly acceptable terms, some have experienced heaven in person. And their experiences and descriptions help us gain a closer understanding. For example, Enoch and Elijah were caught up into heaven, as told in the Old Testament. And in the days of the New Testament, Paul and John had experiences of heaven. In modern times, others have experienced heaven as well, as in the cases of Betty Maltz, Dr. Richard Eby, Marvin Ford, Marietta Davis, Percy Collet, Rebecca Springer, Reverend Odin Hetrick, and others. However, the physical body, the one in which we now live, cannot go to heaven. As the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, I tell you this, my brothers, an earthly body made of flesh and blood cannot get into God's kingdom. These perishable bodies of ours are not the right kind to live forever. Only the redeemed soul and spirit, led by God, can go to heaven. In this video, we will talk about heaven according to the scriptures, and by interviews with two people who have experienced this wonderful place. It is my privilege to introduce you to Reverend Odin Hetrick and his daughter, Miss Lois Hetrick. Reverend Hetrick was born on May 21, 1922 in Pennsylvania. 
And when he was 12 years of age, God healed his weak heart. At the age of 16, he gave his life to Jesus. Since then, he has set his heart on going to heaven. And after many years of prayer and seeking God, the Lord has blessed him by sending angels to take him in the Spirit many times to see the city of heaven. And from time to time, through visions, the Lord reminds him of what he has experienced in heaven. He was married in 1946, graduated in 1951 from Nyack Bible College with a Bachelor of Theology degree. He worked with a Christian radio and television ministry in Florida while raising a son and four daughters. Now, Reverend Hetrick and his family work full-time in the service of the Lord as an evangelistic team, as the gospel-singing Hetrick family. Reverend Hetrick, Lois, welcome. Thank you. Brother Hetrick, you've made a trip that we've read about, talked about, sung about, but few people have made the same trip. You've visited heaven. Yes. And that must be a wonderful experience. Very, very much so. And so what we're going to do is talk about your visits. All right. Or your visits. Not many people have done that. <laughs> now, you don't look a lot different than most people. How is it that you were chosen to visit heaven? That's a good question. I asked the Lord that. I said, Lord, how is it that you give me all these blessings? And the Lord said to me about the same thing as he said to the children of Israel. That it's not because there's so many of you. It's not because you're so great. It's just because I love you. Because I love you. Just because I love you. Right. God loves us, I guess, more than we can understand. So God, good looks don't count? That doesn't make any difference. <laughs> Intelligence doesn't count? No, not with God. It's because God loves it's just us. Just because God loves us. And because He loved you, He has allowed you to visit heaven. Yes. Uh, the first visit was about 1952. Yes. Since that time, how many times have you visited heaven? Well, I stopped counting at 80. At 80. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're there, you enjoy it. Oh, yes. You don't want to come back. Don't want to come back, no. <laughs> this earth doesn't look too good anymore. <laughs> and each time is new and different? Oh, yes. That's the idea. Each time I learn something new. You see something different? Yes. And the thing about it is I never forget what I learned the first time. No, I've learned a lot that I learned in grade school, you know, but I never forget what I see when I see heaven. And you build on each experience. Yes, each right. that's right. Mm -hmm. How did the first visit, or how do your visits usually take place? Well, maybe I should explain that uh, the Lord had to open my spiritual eyes first, and it was like this. One night, ten angels appeared around my bed. Now, when I opened my eyes, they were gone. I couldn't understand that. Then when I shut my eyes again to go to sleep, there they were, just like before. Well, later I learned that that was how the Lord opened my spiritual eyes. By having the angels appear? Yes, that I could see those angels. Mm -hmm. Well, then, um, after seeing angels for a few months, then three of these angels came and they didn't talk to me. They talked among themselves and said, let's take this fellow up and show him around heaven. I can still remember what they said. Of course, I, I didn't th feel that I was worthy to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. 
And I remonstrated with him. I said, now look, hold it, fellas. But I learned that when your angel comes for you, you don't say no. God sent the angels, and they came to take you. Did you think that would be just a visit or that you would stay? Well, I didn't understand much about at that time, no. I learned later what was going on. <laughs> when uh, you made these or make these trips, or when we go to heaven, uh, what kind of body do we have? How that's, do we look? That's an interesting question. Um, I discuss with people about my soul. looks like me. If my soul would step out of my body, it would look just like my physical body. A lot of people, when they go from this earth to that heaven when they die or so forth, they, the first thing they notice is that they're, they're still themselves. You know, I'm still me. I'm still here. I have a body. I can think. I can see. I can smell, taste, and touch. And that surprises them very much that they can do that. But you see, the senses are usually thought of as physical senses, but they really belong to the soul. And, uh, and the, we take these senses with us when we leave this world, still being able to communicate. We retain the five senses. Yes, we retain our memory and our senses and our personality. And our physical appearance? Yes, our appearance that we appeared like. Of course, it's much more beautiful. <laughs> but uh, Describe that beauty. Is it a light? Uh, yes, the, the glorified body, I mean, a spirit body, we'll mm -hmm. say, and the glorified body would be the same. Mm -hmm. It uh, is white, as though light is coming from it. Uh, we have hair on our hands now, you know, and, but then it would be light. As when the case of Moses was in Mount Sinai, remember, when he came down, he had to cover his face because his face shone with the glory of God. He had been in the presence of God. He was in the presence of God. And I believe it is because the Spirit of God lives in us and shines out through us. And that, that's what makes our body appear to be white. So we will appear the same. We will be recognizable oh, yes. as ourselves. Yes, in more ways than one. Now, I know you by your name, mm -hmm. see, but I also know you by uh, just talking with you, hearing the tone of your voice, and uh, sensing your cheerful spirit. See, these things go to make up you in my mind. And that's how we recognize people in heaven. Not just by the shape of my nose or, you know, <laughs> something like that. See? <laughs> or, or my hair. <laughs> so our bodies will look the same, appear the same, but uh, it won't be our physical body. No, there's a difference between the physical. The, the physical body is just for this earth. This is the physical creation. We call it the third dimension. The spiritual bodies are in another dimension. Yeah. So it is um, the soul body yes. that we will or have. The spirit body. The spirit body. Mm -hmm. Are we as tall or shorter, or is there any difference, or could you tell? I noticed that everybody appeared to be the same size, and I, it looked to me to be about five and a half feet. And me being so tall, you know, I, it looked funny to me. And yet I know that the angels appeared to be seven feet tall, the ones that I saw. And then I read in the Bible, you know, where Jesus said to, to the lawyers, who thought they were smart, by the way, mm -hmm. he said, you can't even add one cubit to your stature. Well, that got me to thinking, because I saw all these short people up there in heaven. And then, <laughs> and then I learned that we can add one cubit to our stature. 
See? It makes us seven feet tall. Everyone appeared to be the same size. Same in no size. No tall, no short. No. The reason they're short is they, they take the humble appearance. Uh-huh. See? Uh, they want, everyone wants to be humble, and they can't be any smaller than that, so that's the common denominator. Is, a, so, is approximately five and a half feet. About that, yeah. uh, So how do we dress? You have a nice suit on now. Lois has a, a beautiful skirt and blouse, and I think I have a, a nice suit just right. recently purchased. Yes. Do we get to wear these suits there? No. Uh, in heaven, there are three different garments that we wear. The first one is the garment of humility. It is a soft, white garment that fits very neatly. Uh, and then over top of that, we wear the robe of righteousness. Uh, these are comparable, incidentally, to the robes that the priest wore when he worshipped, when he served God in the, in the temple. Now this is a long, shining garment, and this is what is usually described by people who have visions of heaven. And then over top of that, we wear a, a sleeveless coat, looks like a sleeveless coat, and it comes down about just below the knees, and it is, it is set with all kinds of diamonds and rubies and jewels, very beautiful and sparkling. A jeweled garment. And this is called the garment of praise. Mm. And in, in that garment of praise, we, we put on all these garments, make ourselves seven feet tall, and they go into the presence of God to worship. With all those garments? With all those garments. What does heaven look like? That's a good question, Charlie. And a lot of people want to know that. Uh, when God told Moses to make the tabernacle, he said, see that you make it according to the pattern I showed you in the mount. Mm. Well, that pattern was the city of heaven, see? And so when Moses made his tabernacle, it had a large outer court. And inside of that, it had the holy place. Mm -hmm. And inside of that, the most holy place. That's, that's the, the general layout of the whole thing. Can you describe the outer courts, the uh, environment yes, this, area? The large outer environs. They could be called suburbs because they're outside of the city walls, mm -hmm. outside the city, suburbs. And this is where people first go, as I understand it. Whether they die, whether they have a vision or whatever, they go to this place first. Because they must learn, we must all learn, that the Spirit of God controls everything in the city of God, see? Mm -hmm. And so it, it, there are no traffic signals, see? Mm -hmm. Because the Spirit of God directs everything. This is how He does it. He puts the thought in our mind, which is, let's go to the river. Mm -hmm. And so we say, okay, let's go to the river. See, immediate, immediate, Obedience, willing obedience, see? And it's, it's as though it was our own idea sometimes. Sometimes we say, well, I'd like to do this. And it's the Spirit of God directing us because we're so yielded to the Spirit. Obey the Spirit, you hear preachers say. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. That's what we have to learn to obey the Spirit of God. I understand that. But what, when we first go to heaven, when I first get there, I'm going to this... Uh, uh, outer court, outer the suburbs first. Suburbs, yeah. What exists there? Oh, it's 
it looks very much like the earth, so that the transition, as you learn, the next lesson dare not be too heavy, <laughs> too strong. And so there are trees, birds, pets, that's where the pets are, and flowers, and fellowship with the people. Mountains, lakes. Mountains, yeah, very high mountains, lakes. This is where the topography is very much like the earth. It sounds like a nice place itself. It is. Some people want to stay here, but, you know, we have to grow. <laughs> we have uh, described the suburbs of heaven. Yes. Now the heavenly city itself, the New Jerusalem, yes. the uh, second part right. of this, this heaven, is, um, is how large? I, I believe that it is actual size, as the Bible gives, 12,000 furlongs. Now this is just a little bit short of 1,500 miles. That's a pretty big place. 1,500 miles 15, long? Right. High and wide and deep. Long, however you want to say that. A great cube of a city. Cube, right. Mm -hmm. Just like the most holy place of Moses' tabernacle. Four square. And there are gates around the city. Twelve gates, right. And the gates, um, the Apostle John talks about them being shut and uh, not being, being open and never shut, and yet they look shut, uh, and he calls them a pearl. So to get all these things together, you know, a pearl is white. It's, uh, you, you can look into a pearl, and yet you can touch the surface of it. The white isn't on the surface. That's what it looks like. You approach the gate, you see this light, and you, as you go towards the light, you can see into the light and you walk right through the light into the city. You're enveloped by the gate. Right. The, and so the gate is never open, it's never shut, it's just all, you can always walk into it because that's what John means when he says never shut because you can walk right mm -hmm. through this. looks like a pearl. The wall of the city looks white too and bright and the gates are very high. Three gates in each side and as we come close to the city, we can see the three gates. And there seems to be decoration around the gates, different colored, not exactly like a rainbow, but somehow they're colored. Uh, if I would describe them a certain way, the next minute they'd be a different way because things change, you know. But over the gate, there's a name. One of the 12 tribes of Israel, their, their names are written over top of the gates. Of One name. One name for each gate, that's right. And over top of the eastern gate is the name Issachar, uh, one, of the, one of the twelve tribes. St. Peter isn't at the gate. No, that idea of St. Peter allowing us in, that's <laughs> not quite right. <laughs> By the time we got that far, we're in. Right, they, they know us and uh, the angels call us by name. They have a record of... They have a record of our... They recognize us. Yes, recognize us. Angels know us not just by our name, but by our character, and by the fact that we're saved by the blood of Jesus, Wonderful. and wearing this robe of righteousness. We look very much like the angels in this nice, long, white, shining garment. Oh, I might mention that uh, inside the gate, it looks like a large hallway. You've probably been in churches with large domes mm -hmm. and big hallway. That's sort of what it's like, because the gate is 216 feet thick. And that makes a nice long hallway. Mm -hmm. And then on the sides of the hallway are 
archways like a third of a circle. You know, they're not sharp like this, just like a third of a circle. And in those places are what on earth would be offices, and there are records are kept. So when we greet the angel at the gate, he is there to welcome us. Is he outside the gate? No, he's inside the gate. Inside the gate. He's inside the gate. And he, uh, he's at the end of the hallway, just before you step into the holy part, the holy place, that part of heaven. He's there, and he greets you. And uh, there could be other angels there to greet those who are coming in. That's going to be our homecoming. Beautiful experience. I mean, that's, that's what you look forward to, you know, entering the Eastern Gate. By the way, the reason we go in at the Eastern Gate is because the throne of God faces that Eastern Gate. Faces the Eastern right. Gate. Now, we've talked about, we mentioned angels. Uh, again, you said the angels first took you to heaven, yes. talked among themselves, and yes. said they were going to take you to heaven. Mm -hmm. And now we're being greeted by angels, and that's our homecoming. Yes, right. Uh, what do angels look like? Well, angels appear to be seven feet tall. They, they seem to always appear to be seven feet tall because they're sent on errands. When God sends an angel on an errand, then they, they take this size of seven feet and they go and do the job. See? Very friendly beings, and they seem to be one of our servants and, mm -hmm. and serve us. Now, the angels I saw did not have wings. None of them has wings. Well, some of them do, uh, like seraphims and those who attend God at His throne, the four living creatures, like having six wings. But they're special beings. They're different from the ordinary, shall we say, if you can say that, from the, or from the regular class of is, angels. Is anything ordinary in heaven? No, not very. <laughs> heaven is a very special place. Out of the ordinary. I try to encourage everybody to go there. <laughs> But to go there, we have to get ready here. We have to get right here. That's right. Get our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and be ready. We have now entered the wonderful Eastern Gate through the Hall of Records, yes. had a homecoming with the angels. Right. And now what do we see? The first thing we see is the Tree of Life. Now, I used to think this was one tree, but it is a row of trees that contain the fruit alongside of the river of life. But first, I'd like to tell you about a piece of fruit I yes. tasted. Yes. It uh, looked sort of, sort of like a pear, smooth skin, you know, and it was juicy. When I took a bite out of it, I just couldn't stop the juice from running down my arm and dripping off my elbow. Mm. Juicy. You know, I thought, oh boy, I'm all stained, but... It, it, there was no stain. No stain, no. <laughs> I, read another uh, lady ate the same piece of fruit. So I was pretty sure that I was right on that to confirm what I saw, you know. Uh, and now this fruit grows, uh, as John says, different fruit every month. And uh, when somebody takes a piece of fruit, another piece appears right away because there are a lot of people partaking of the fruit. And this is where a lot of time is spent in heaven partaking of the fruit. You see a different fruit every month. Uh, do you mean it could be a pear one month, an apple? Yes, something? right, different types of fruit. And while one fruit is coming ripe, there are flowers on the tree, fragrant flowers, that are going to be the next fruit. Mm. Uh, Enoch saw this place. He said, oh, the fragrance. 
really terrific, you know. So you, you said before we have all of our senses, smell, touch, yes, hearing. Right. You could smell the blossoms. Oh, yes. Smell you could taste the fruit. Oh, My mouth is watering. <laughs> <laughs> you see it, you taste it, you, you smell it, touch it right. you feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. The tree of life. Yes, very delicious. And then a river of life. Yes, just beyond the tree of life then is the river of life. Now it's called the crystal river, or the river of life, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one day my angel guide said, uh, today we're going to step in the river. I said, oh, but I've got shoes on. Mm. And I looked at my feet, I didn't have any shoes on. <laughs> so uh, I don't really think we wear shoes in heaven. And we just like to walk around on the grass. And <laughs> so anyway, we stepped into the river. Now it's not cold, wet water, but it is exhilarating. You know, it's refreshing. Life refreshing. Life. Perhaps as a boy you stuck your toe in the cold water in the springtime, you know, ooh. <laughs> so it is very, very exhilarating. And so we walked into the river, and it got deeper and deeper until finally the surface of the river was over top of our heads, and we were still breathing. Mm -hmm. And so then I got the understanding that this is the flowing of the Spirit of God. It is a manifestation of the Spirit of God. And and in heaven, when one of the first things we do inside here is to take the people into this river, and there the, well, let me explain it this way. On earth, you know, our sins are washed away in Jesus' blood. Our souls are made clean in Jesus' blood. But when we get to heaven, we still remember these things. Even though our sins are washed away. We remember earthly experiences. We remember that how we were on earth, you know. And, and God said that these things are going to be wiped away. Well, it's bathing in the river that wipes these memories, scars, we might call them, scars of sin. Even though the sin's washed away, our memory has scars of these things. And, and we keep washing until these scars are washed away from our, from our memory. And then we can better enjoy heaven. You know, as I felt when I first went, oh, I'm not fit. But this makes us feel fit to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, talking about the Spirit of God, there are also fountains, I mean beautiful, way up in the air and fall down and sometimes are caught in basins. But uh, my daughter had an experience about this. I think you'd find interesting. An experience with fountains. Yes. Mm -hmm. Lois, you've also visited heaven. Yeah. And uh, I know you could tell us a lot of things, but let's hear about your delightful fountain experience. Okay. Um, this visit to heaven that I had was the f very first one that I had. It was when I was 16. Um, it was not hard for me to visit heaven because Dad had been telling us ever since we were young of his visits, and we were always excited to hear more about heaven. One day I was at youth camp, and after the service we were, a lot of the young people were in the back room praying together. There were a lot of people around me praying. We were all praying out loud and nobody was paying any attention to anyone else. It was at that time that I was praying and praising the Lord and I, I seemed to be able to see around me and I was in a garden. There were um, tall trees, tall slender trees that the leaves went all the way down to the ground. There was no trunk that you could see. I was on green grass and directly in front of me and falling over me was a fountain of water. The base of this fountain was clear like crystal, delicately carved, like cut glass, but you could see right through it. It was 
pure and clear. The water coming out of it was flowing all the way up and over me, but it did not hurt. It was soft and it was warm and, and yet invigorating, comforting. I stepped out of this water and turned around and there I saw the head and shoulders of Jesus in this water, in this fountain. And Jesus stepped out of the fountain towards me also. He had his hands out like this towards me. And there were other people in the garden with me. There were uh, six, six people and Jesus there together in this garden. And we sat down right on the grass and had what we would call lunch or tea. I don't know what we ate. I don't remember. And after we had tea there, we all stood up and I sensed it was my turn, my time to leave, to leave this beautiful place. My back was to a river and I didn't want to go. And I said, you know, I, I said, I don't want to go. Do I have to go? And the Lord said to me that you must go now, but you may return again and again. And uh, I think that anybody who visits heaven doesn't want to come back. They want to go there. And they want to stay. Yes, <laughs> I did. Incidentally, I did visit that, that place again later, and I noticed something that I didn't notice before, and that is that the water coming out of the fountains was very loud and rushing and very exciting, like when you see a big waterfall and it's really loud. We talked about the tree of life and uh, the river of life. Yes. Lois, about the wonderful fountain experience. Mm -hmm. And now what about the street of gold? Now this golden street is right next to the tree of life. And then the tree of life is right next to the crystal river. And then the same thing is on the other side, the Tree of Life and the Golden Streets. Is it one street that is interconnected, or, or is it a group of streets? It is, um, that's a rather complicated question. In a way it's connected, and in a way it's different. Uh, but it, the, the gold pavement goes a certain distance, and then there's uh, grass with flowers mm -hmm. around the Tree of Life. And then you go to another section where you come to the gold again, and that seems to be the base of the river. The, the, the bed of the river seems to be gold. Mm -hmm. And you come up the other side to the same thing. And this street and row of trees and river spirals through this holy place. It spirals from the throne of God. It comes clear down to the eastern gate, and that's where it ends. So there are five major colors in heaven. That's gold, red, purple, or violet, the light color, wine tone it might be, and uh, red, uh, blue and green. Those are the major colors of heaven. Now these colors are what make heaven interesting. Well, let me compare it to a sky. You're used to seeing the sky change colors, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, the sunset, never two alike. Mm -hmm. always changing and interesting. So that's what these colors do in heaven. They make colorful sky. But mostly it is gold. These colors are more for decorating like the walls of the temple, uh, other walls around the, the gate, the foundations. These things are, have the colors in them. And uh, these five major colors blend together, of course, to make other colors. You might say, well, there, where's orange? Mm. I don't know, except that orange is the color of some flesh. 
the color of orange. Maybe why that color is omitted. But then gold is very close to that. Right, and that's the, the sky color. The sky color is usually that color. Uh, one time in Florida, we saw the clouds all lit up gold. And, and, and as they shone down, the leaves on the trees were gold. The ground was gold. And the way the light shone from all the angles, there were no shadows under the trees. And we were sitting in church in town. I says, I disturbed the service by <laughs> saying, look at that. I was talking to my family. I said, look, just like heaven. The preacher was trying to maintain some composure. <laughs> <laughs> but there are no shadows in heaven. No shadows, no. So the light source emanates from everywhere. It seems to come from everywhere, but mainly from the throne of God, which we'll be talking about a little later. <clears throat> uh, I hope so. Yes. We, uh, we have a river, but you didn't mention swimming. We have a street of gold, and you didn't mention walking. What is our mode of transportation? That's a good, good question. Um, the river of life, people consider themselves swimming in the river. And when, as we said, they bathe in the river to wash the bad memories, mm -hmm. it's, it's not, we don't need a wash, but they call it bathing. Mm -hmm. And we do swim in the river, play in the river. It's a park, what it is. And, and Lois splashes. Splashes in the water, yeah, and, and uh, just have a good time there. But uh, transportation, now that's, that's uh, quite a subject. Mostly, or not mostly, I'd say, it is possible to move by the speed of thought. You have to go somewhere just like that, and you're there, see. But there's another mode, which is to move slowly. Uh, you have the sensation of movement, which in itself is delightful. You know, when you ride down a scenic uh, road, you can look out and see the scenery, whereas traveling by thought, you wouldn't see this. Because you're there. Because, right, you're, you're there, see. But to travel, and you see what you learn as you travel, that's delightful to learn, see. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you just appear to be floating through space. Like we see birds flying through space, they just seem to float through space. And while we don't have any wings, we just float through space. Would that be comparable to walking on air? Yes, but people don't walk. So it's not walking. They no, it's not uh, pedestrian. It's not walking. They just move gracefully. And uh, then there are, some people think that there's chariots, you know, mm -hmm. and they think of Elijah being caught up in chariot. chariot of fire and horses of fire, you know, they're, oh boy, fiery. But that's for demonstration on earth. They, in, in heaven, they have little chariots, but they're not all this flamboyant. They don't call attention to themselves. They're more like the angels, servants. They're just there to serve the saints. And uh, these are, they can be small, like two-seater, like in the olden days you take your girlfriend for a ride in two-seater, you know. Or they can be, look like buses, have a lot of seats. And these vehicles can move on the land or on the river, you know, or through the sky, any place that, uh, and the Spirit of God moves them. That was my question. Do we yeah. direct those vehicles or are they moved by? No, this comes back to, as we discussed, we must be yielded to the Spirit of God, see. And this, this yielding is, seems to be difficult on earth for us to learn. But in heaven, we'll have to learn this, complete yieldedness to the Spirit of God and delight. Uh, Jesus said, 
I delight to do thy will, O my Father, for my, thy law is within my heart. So we have this delight. The Apostle Paul said, if I do this willingly, I have reward, see? So heaven is not a place where, oh, I'm doing God's will, but not my will, right. see? They mistake that by what Jesus said when he had to suffer on the cross. We won't be suffering in heaven, see? We're going to be delighting ourselves in these things. And so these chariots are moved by the Spirit of God to take us where he wants to take us. We just go along for the ride. <laughs> so you float for want of a better expression. Yes, that's the best way I can explain it in English. And you have the little vehicles. Mm -hmm. Any other mode of transportation? Well, not that I have seen. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other persons who have visited and they talk about different type of chariots, which there could be. But, I mean, I, I can't say what I don't know. Because you didn't see anything. I, I didn't know. That's what I understand, see. Is time kept in heaven? Are there days, weeks, months, years? Heaven is a very interesting place. There's nothing monotonous, mm. including the passage of time on earth, see. Now, it, on earth you sense the passing of time. The clock ticks, you know. The sun goes over the horizon, and you sense the passing of time. You don't sense the passing of time. But there are different periods of time. There's a time when the sky is bright, and this we call day. And then there's a time when the sky is not so bright. Uh, the old folks had a name for it, gloaming, in the, in the evening time. Some people think this is when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden at the cool of evening, see. Mm -hmm. It's a time when activity seems to slow down. And this uh, day and night, shall we call it? No night in heaven, but light and less light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hard to put it in English, you know. <laughs> uh, it makes a 24-hour period. Well, it's hard to put it in human. Yes, uh, the same as we have on earth. So it's a 24-hour period. Yes, and then, and then the, the daylight time would go in seven-day lengths. So you have the week, and then at the end of the week, there's a special day set aside for special worship services in, uh, in God's presence. What about communication? Are there any language barriers in heaven? I suppose that's an important question people would like to know. Uh, we think of communicating by thoughts on earth, like sometimes among our family, if somebody's out somewhere and the phone rings, we say, oh, that's David, because we know he's... Right. Well, that's one way that we communicate. I mean, we can know what the other person's thinking. Uh, but speaking of languages there, Charlie, you know, Adam and Eve only spoke one language. Uh, but somewhere along the line, down there about the Tower of Babel, you know, uh, overnight, God changed the languages. And the next morning, everybody spoke a different language. There was no understanding. And they didn't understand each other. And so that's been with us down through the ages. And as I understand it, God is going to bring this all again. It might be expressed in the words there of Paul, bringing everything together in one in Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. which would include languages, mm -hmm. one language. See, coming down to one language. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare you one. I want you to tell me about mansions in heaven. Very good subject. As I approach my mansion, which I'm going to call my country mansion, there is a 
rose arbor in front of it with a heart-shaped trellis. You go through this heart-shaped trellis, lovely row of flowers on this side. I don't know what flowers are, but somebody told me they were chrysanthemums. <laughs> How did they know? <laughs> well, I described them for them, and they said they must be chrysanthemums. And the mansion itself sits on about 10 acres, large place. And then uh, we go into the vestibule, uh, large, round, about 20 feet round, large place. Inside the front door. Inside the front door, yes, when you enter through the front door. So as you step in this vestibule, to the right there's a door, and in that door is the banquet room. And then to the left is a door, and in that door is the fellowship hall, or the, uh, the uh, living room, as we say on earth. And then in front of you is a spiral stairway that goes up to the other floors. Then on the second floor, there is a huge balcony that overlooks the garden so that you can be up on the balcony and look down into the garden and see what's growing down there. The second floor is music room, piano. Uh, I play a guitar, so I have a guitar. <laughs> Any special kind? Well, yes, it's very special. Inlaid with white mother of pearl, something like the gate of the city we talked about. Great. Very beautiful. Let's talk about a banquet now yes. in, the, uh, in the banquet room. We gather in this room, we gather our friends. Like my father may want to be with his brothers and sisters, but there are some times when I want my father with me and his children, see, plus other friends we'd gather around. Now I sit at the servant end of the table, and Jesus sits at the head of the table. Jesus is at your banquet. Jesus comes to the banquets, yes. Mm -hmm. He did on earth. He does in heaven. And we think of Jesus as standing at God's right hand. But you see, Jesus is able to appear any place he wants to. He's not just in my banquet. There's other banquets, and he can appear also in all those other banquets. At, at the, the same, same time. time. Yes, at the same time. The word omnipresent, it really means what it says. We think of the Spirit of God being omnipresent because we can't see it. See? And we think if something we can see can't be omnipresent. <laughs> but that's not the case. Even though we can see Jesus in heaven, he is still omnipresent. He can be any place he wants to be. Now, we're not omnipresent. We're only one place at a time. But that's not the case with Jesus. In heaven, we're in one place, but Jesus can be at your banquet, my banquet, right. Lois's picnic, yes. uh, All, any place Brother Joe's party. And at the same time, standing at the right hand of God, and then the, the people sit around the sides. And then the, the uh, person who is serving comes in, and uh, they're directed as to what to serve, and they go back out again. And uh, they bring in a platter. Now, as we said before, most things in heaven are gold. But this is a silver platter. Silver. I don't know why. I just noticed it was a silver <laughs> platter. You know, It's oval-shaped like a platter usually is. And on this platter, is little things that look like bonbons, little small pieces of food. And it is made, I don't know if you ever tasted uh, almond butter, sure. but uh, it's like almond butter, and then they flavor it with dried fruit. Mm -hmm. And it's very tasty. Mm -hmm. And so it's not piled high, just neatly put on, on the tray, the pieces of food. And as it's passed around, each person takes a piece, Pass it to the next person. 
And when one piece is taken, another piece appears in its place. You know, something like the five loaves and two fish? Right, they never ran out. Never ran out. That's right. right. Just kept passing them out as right. they went around the table. Oh, I forgot to mention that there's uh, little angelic creatures or something that make the music. You don't put your cassette in a boombox and push the button. <laughs> no stereos? No stereos. It just is little angels that make this music. While you're eating or all the time or when you're... Well, especially at the banquet, I, I could see them. You know, I wonder where the music was coming from. And then I could see the little angel. Are, are they singing, playing? Just singing. Just singing. Uh, there seems to be instruments, but I didn't know where that was coming from. Now, there are intimacies in heaven. Let me explain this. We were talking about the Spirit of God living in us, you know. Mm -hmm. People say, well, what, how does the Spirit of God live in us? Well, let me say this. My soul lives in my body just like I put my hand in a glove. The glove's dead until I put my hand in it. Yes. But as soon as I put my hand in it, it comes to life. So my soul looks like my body, fits in my body like a glove, and gives my soul life. See, when my soul departs, my body lifeless. When uh, Dives was in hell looking at uh, Abraham's bosom, he saw Lazarus. Lazarus had fingers. Dives had a memory. He recognized, he recognized him. Even though his body was in the grave. Mm -hmm. See? Very recognizable. So the Spirit of God, the same way, He fits in our body like a hand in a glove. Mm -hmm. And He gives us spiritual life. Our soul gives us physical life, see? <clears throat> but the Spirit gives us spiritual life. That is an intimacy. God living in us. God living in us. <clears throat> that is an intimacy. As the Apostle Paul says, Christ in us and we in Christ. That is an intimacy. And that's what we have here on earth. Yes. But in heaven it's to a greater degree. Yes. It, but we learn that intimacy here. The kind of intimacies that are in heaven, we learn them here. See? Let, let's uh, explain it this way. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, when God first made this creation, He made a paradise, He made a man and a lady, and He had fellowship with them. In the garden. Now that, that's interesting. That's why God made it. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's good. But when he made the man and the lady, he, he not only said it's good, he blessed it. That union. Yes. Intimacy. He blessed it. Now, coming around full circle to heaven, here we have paradise. Again. Again. We have the man and the lady. Again. Again, in fellowship with God. Now that's as clear as I can make it, Charlie. So as it began before the fall, so right. shall it be in right. the end. I mean, this is the way God wanted it. Uh -huh. If He had wanted it some other way, He had done it some other way. As He said about what you quoted a while ago, if it were not so, I would have told you have about told the mansions you. in heaven. See, So if He had wanted it otherwise, He'd have made it otherwise. I think by now people may be wondering, uh, are there ladies in heaven? I've heard some people say that no, there's just going to be men in heaven. We're all going to be men in heaven. But I asked a lady one time, she was going to heaven, she says, I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't intend to become a man. That's right. She didn't intend to become a man. She intended to become a lady. Jesus said there is no marriage in heaven, yet you talk about companionship. How do you explain marriage and companionship in heaven's light? 
That's a good question, Charlie. I'm going to do the best I can to answer that. You're quoting to me from uh, Luke chapter 20, where Jesus said, uh, those who are counted worthy to obtain the resurrection do not marry or are given in marriage. Now, that Greek word there means they do not reproduce. See, Jesus did not say there's no companionship. He said there's no reproduction. The, the word for marriage means reproduction. Yet that word for marriage means to reproduce in the physical sense. See, now on earth, physical bodies die and have got to be replenished. But in heaven, that's not so. But let's go back to the Garden of Eden. This might help to clear things up. You see, when God first created this world, this world that you and I live in, He put two lovers in paradise and had fellowship with them. Yes. It's like this. When, when God made Eve, it was not as though He made another apple. You'll pardon the apple expression. <laughs> it was as though he cut the first apple in half. The first apple being Adam. The first apple being Adam, yes. He took Forget Adam and, and cut. That's what sex means, to divide, see? And so in dividing like that, he divided them not just physically, male and female. He divided them emotionally, spiritually, socially, and in all of these ways, uh, so that the feminine being has her characteristics and the masculine being has his characteristics. But in Adam, they were male and female. It was the feminine being living in a female body and the masculine being living in a, a, a male body. Now, when we get to heaven, we'll still be masculine and feminine but no more male and female. The Song of Solomon, he talks about perfection in relationship to your spouse, mm -hmm. making you perfect, see? Now, people think that they're going to choose their own companion. On earth, uh, this uh, fellow said, when he went to church camp, he said, Lord, show me who she is and let me chase her. <laughs> well, that's not exactly... See. Adam didn't choose Eve. They were made for each other. God made them for each other. And neither had anything to say in the whole thing. It was God's idea. We can't save ourselves. God has to wash away our sins. When it comes time to leave this world, we can't do it. We don't decide when. We don't decide when, and we don't decide... We can't take ourselves up to heaven. See, God has to take it. So when it comes to deciding the eternal state in our companion there in heaven, it's totally up to God. Well, I can suppose we refer to chapter 5 of Ephesians. There Paul is talking about the husband and the wife, and he's talking about Christ and his bride, the church. And after he talks about this union a while, saying they should be respect each other, you know, and so forth, when he gets down to the end, he says, it's a great mystery. <laughs> and I suppose it's going to remain a mystery till we get to heaven and find out the details. I mean, what I do know is that there is companionship in heaven. Notwithstanding the humanness of it, I'm pretty happy in my marriage here. And I believe that there are a lot of couples who are happily married. Right. When they get to heaven, these couples, 
will they remain with their earth mate or will they get different companions? No, it's very likely. There are uh, a lot of people who are happily married, about 85% uh -huh. according to my research. And it's my understanding that God's not going to break up a good thing. I mean, it's very likely that the companionship will remain, a delightful companionship will remain. But for those 15% who are unhappily married, I do have to say that God has the answers <laughs> and He's going to make it right when He gets to heaven. And you know, also, the, this relationship is like Christ and His bride, the church. Now, that's a very sacred relationship. We don't think of Christ and His bride, the church, as being man and wife in heaven in the sense that they are on earth. But Revelation 19 does call the church the bride of Christ, mm -hmm. even His wife, it says. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's not the proper meaning there. It means she's a companion. We are Jesus' companion. We have fellowship with Jesus. We have intimacies with Jesus. Uh, let me give you another illustration. Uh, you see, in the Garden of Eden, when uh, <clears throat> Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, Adam knew that if he partook, he'd die. Mm -hmm. But he was willing to partake of that forbidden fruit to be with his companion. Now you see, she was, she's part of him. I mean, she was taken from his side. I think it was the right side. She was taken from his side as a curved rib. So she's very much a part of him. He didn't want to be separated. And he did not want to be separated from Eve. I mean, I think the love there, that we don't understand that mm -hmm. love like, like he did. He just couldn't be separated. Well, I, it's the same way with Christ, I believe. Because, you know, when he hung on the cross there, and that soldier pierced his side, mm -hmm. and that is where the blood flowed out of his side. And if we understand the scripture correctly, it's the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away and makes us part of the bride of Christ. And Jesus, I mean, when you give your blood for somebody, as he said, greater love has no man. And he laid down his life. And he laid down his life for his friends. So yeah. Jesus did not want to be separated from us and was willing to die for us, just as Adam did not want to be separated from Eve. Right. Yeah. And so fellowship here on earth with Jesus is so vital. Yes. It must be in heaven even more vital oh, and yes. wonderful. Mm -hmm. You've met Jesus in heaven. Oh, yes. yes. Can you describe that meeting or those meetings? Well, let's start with the first one. The first one is good. Okay. <clears throat> I was praying and fasting at the time, and I, I really wanted to know what God wanted me to do for my life. You know, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am. And then I, I saw Jesus, and uh, he was tall. Mm. And of course, like Daniel, I just fell down on my face, no breath left in me. Were you frightened? No, I wasn't afraid. I was overcome you might say, awestruck. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to do something. <laughs> so I, I just fell out and put my arms around his ankles like this. And my head was like this to the side of his ankle. And I, I, th I thought I was crying, but I don't know if I was or not. But I was really emotionally stirred up, you know. And then I saw a little tear come out of my right eye. I thought it was a tear. And it dropped like it was going down in a canyon. And I saw it going down, and then I heard the voice of Jesus. He said, that's how much you love me. One drop. That really shook me up. I said, I thought I loved you more than that, Lord. Mm -hmm. 
He said, you have some things to learn about love. And that was your first meeting. Right. We don't have the right meaning of love on earth. We've got to learn God's love. And later, uh, I don't know where that took place. I couldn't place it where it was. But if it were heaven or uh, Right. Mm -hmm. But later, then I, I got to talking to Jesus in heaven about some serious things, see? About companions and companionship. And uh, like most people, that's an interesting subject. Yes. See, uh, God is our deepest need, but a companion is our deepest desire. Aha. See? Good description. And, and, and I wanted to know about companionship. And uh, so the Lord showed me this very beautiful creature, a very beautiful lady, very, very beautiful feminine being. And uh, he said, what do you think about her? I said, oh boy, she's really something. He said, would you like to have a companion like that? And I said, oh boy, that would be my heart's desire. He's, I said, but you know, it's, I don't have a companion, and she's not my companion, see? Mm -hmm. He said, now you understand how I'd like to be with my companion. Oh, that really made it plain to me. Jesus wants to be with his bride, the church. That's precious to me. Really one of the highlights of my visits to heaven. So the purpose of heaven is for us to be with Christ. Exactly right. Exactly right. I couldn't explain it better myself. The fellowship with him. The fellowship with Jesus. And right. it will meet our deepest needs. It will. Yes, meet our deepest need. And when he finally gets this companionship straightened out, we understand how things are, they'll meet our deepest desire. And I always tell people, I, I encourage them to go to heaven. And I say, if you're not satisfied, you can punch me right on the nose. When you get there? Yeah, it wouldn't hurt anyway if they did, see. But I know they'll be satisfied. I just know people will be happy to be with Jesus. Well, I suppose there's a question in a lot of people's minds is if they're going to be bored in heaven. I saw a picture one time of a fellow twirling his halo around his finger. <laughs> nothing else to do? Like so there's nothing to do in heaven? <laughs> oh, no. That's not the truth. That is not the truth at all. No. I mean, if all we did was enjoy the fellowship of our covenant companion and enjoy the presence of Jesus, if that's all we did, let me tell you, it'd be out of sight. And won't there be companionship with our loved ones who have gone on or oh, yes. we meet there? Yes. Friends? Yes. The Lord? Right. Our, our relatives, loved ones, and even those that we haven't met yet. When we meet them, it's going to be like an old friend. I mean, being in evangelistic work, you know that when you meet new Christians, mm -hmm. they don't seem strange at all. No. You seem like you've known sisters. them, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Right. It's, it's a love with which we love everybody. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just a love that carries you along in heaven. <laughs> the Bible talks about us uh, laying up treasures in heaven as opposed to here on earth where moth and rust do corrupt. Mm -hmm. In heaven, did you see any evidence of treasures? Yes, I did, Charlie. Uh, in my mansion one day, I went down into the basement. Now, when we think of a basement, we think of a place not desirable, but you can't tell it. it's a real nice place to be. More like a rumpus room? Yeah, family room, something, you know. So I noticed bins of jewels about two feet wide and about four feet deep. I don't know how deep they were this way, maybe two or three feet. 
and different colored jewels in the bins. They were separated. Diamonds, you know, sapphires. That's my favorite sapphires. My favorite color is blue. See, mm -hmm. I like them. I couldn't tell. And, couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed all these bins of jewels, and so I ran over to them and I dipped into the rubies, the red ones. Mm -hmm. I said my favorite color is blue, didn't I? I dipped into the red ones first. <laughs> I picked them up like this, left them dribble down through my fingers. Just look at that. And my angel guide was there showing me these things. You know, yes. that's what you get. And uh, the Bible says, if you even give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you get a big reward in heaven. This, mm. the, the smallest things you do get large rewards in heaven. And you're rewarded in jewels, or that's one of the rewards? That's one of the ways you're rewarded. Girls like jewels better than fellas do. <laughs> but I do like jewels. You like pretty things. But as I, as, as I saw those jewels for the first time and was playing with them, my angel guide said, do you like those? I said, oh, they're pretty. My angel guide said, yes, but they can't love you in return. Uh -huh. A real lesson. I said, oh. But the most important thing is not. Right. The most important thing is fellowship. Love. Love and fellowship. See, when you love somebody and they love you back in return, the jewels can't do that. All I can do is look pretty. That was the lesson of the jewels. <laughs> but we must remember that... Uh, God is in charge of all these things. Mm -hmm. He even tells Jesus what to do. And when God tells Jesus something to do, to obey his Father is his extreme delight. See? So Jesus has jobs for us to do, little things for us to do. And they may be going to the outer environs to comfort a soul who just does not understand the glories of heaven. The outer environs is the first place you described first place to us. The first place we described, yes. It looks so much like earth. Right. A beautiful place. When an angel, when a child on earth dies, mm -hmm. and God sends an angel to bring that child home, that angel is invincible. He will stop at nothing until his job is finished. And while he is doing that job, he has extreme delight in obeying God. When God tells us to do something and we obey that, extreme delight. And now there is another place, the most holy place. Right. And it has several names. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would like you to tell us those names and describe this place. All right. Uh, you've already given this one name. Uh, it's also called uh, the Father's Presence, as the Scripture uh, uh, tells us in the Psalms at his right hand and in his, in his presence, fullness of joy. See. The temple of heaven. And also the temple of heaven. Temple of heaven. And maybe we should uh, take it like that, the temple of heaven. It's large round structure, about 300 miles across, and about 800 miles high. This is in the center? In the center of the four square city, right. right. And some folks wonder how they can see 300 miles. And I asked them if they were ever a lover on a park bench. They never worried about the moon being 250,000 miles away. <laughs> they could see it. They could see it. No problem with distance in heaven. But outside of this wall is the Garden of Fountains. That's where I That's what Lois was that's talking about a while ago, yes. There's three gardens. That's where the fountains of waters come up. And we'll be talking more about that later. Then this wall is about 
15 miles thick is a big place. Inside of this wall are a lot of rooms, a lot of activities going on in here. One of those is a temple of instruction where the children are taught and they have angels who instruct them. And as we said a while ago, the angels bring the children up to heaven. This is where they take them, in the temple of instruction. And as Jesus said, talking about children, their angels do always behold the face of my Father in heaven. That's what he was talking about. Their, their instructor angels can see the face of God. Also in this wall... Well, these children are little, little children that died and yes. went to heaven or... They died in childbirth, they died by accident, or they were aborted. Whatever the case was with children, mm -hmm. they're taken there. Um, and then there are also rooms which we'll call theaters, for lack of a better term. Because the one wall is where the picture, it's sort of like a movie, cinema, or sort of like a TV. And yet it's like a stage because it's three-dimensional. But you know it's not to real actors because one of the scenes we see there is actually the life of Christ. As we see what happened in the life of Christ. So the children see. The children see this as part of their instruction. See? And they see how Jesus died on the cross. And this really breaks them up mm -hmm. to see him hanging there on the cross. Because, see, as spirit beings, they can see the demons which were hovering around the cross, which the people on earth didn't see. And they see this. And, of course, that breaks them up. Also, uh, every saint that goes to heaven is required to see this because after all Jesus dying on a cross is the reason we're here. So there is a feeling of remorse sometimes or sadness in heaven. Yes, strange as it may seem it's, re re it's required for our training. Mm -hmm. Required for our training and we, we, we must see that scene. Also uh, there is a videotape shall we say video cassette <laughs> of your life and my life. So that's how the records kept. Them, that's right? one way the records are kept. There's one is kept in books and writing, you know, mm -hmm. but others kept in actual visual sight. They can see and hear their life. Now that's enough to make somebody behave, isn't it? Well, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> the bad parts are cut out. Well, now, see, when Jesus, when Jesus forgives our sins, of course, he really washes them away. Mm -hmm. No trace, so that when you look at your life again, those areas which have, would have been sin are cut out. When we're saved, you know, it's probably from then on when uh, you can see your life and see what you did on earth. That's one of the things that takes place in there. Many other rooms, many other, many other places, but this wall only has three gates, a north and south and east. There's none on the west. Uh, we'll describe that later, why that is. But we're going to enter in through the gate that's to the east. We like the eastern gate because, as we said before... The throne of God faces the east. The throne of God gate. faces the east. Right. So we go in to this part, and it's huge. But the activity takes place in the walls. A lot of activity. There's also chambers. Now, we talked about the country mansions. Mm-hmm. This is a city mansion. We have another mansion. Yes, city mansion. One day the Spirit of God said to me, uh, 
today I'm going to show you something. And I knew it was going to be something grand. And I said, oh, I'm afraid. <laughs> and the Spirit of God said, okay, that's all right. And so a little later, the Spirit of God came back and said, now, really, I really want you to see this. I said, yes, but I'm still afraid. He <laughs> said, well, all right. And then the Spirit of God came the third time. This time, we're going. So, I, okay, I knew enough not to argue. <laughs> when your angel calls, you go. When your angel calls, you go. And when, but the, the Spirit of God seemed to be very patient with me. And this, this touched me. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of God is patient with us. So the place I went was beyond description. If, suppose I would tell you that a flower stem looks like a plastic drinking straw. I mean, it, it doesn't move you, doesn't it? Doesn't. The petals made of diamonds 14 inches long, which tapered out to a sharp point. And I looked around, and everything was made of crystal. But the light I told you about, the colors reflecting off of these, gave different reflections of color to everything. Beautiful. This is inside the city mansion. This is, this is inside my city mansion, which is in Ezekiel called a chamber. And then I saw two creatures, crystal clear, a masculine being and a feminine being. And I, oh! But then I, I noticed they didn't see me, and I relaxed a little bit. And I said, Spirit of God, I don't belong here. Would you take me out of this place? After you learn your lesson, I'll take you out. Mm. So I stuck with it. And uh, I heard a beautiful music. And I looked around, couldn't see any musical instruments, nothing I could recognize as a musical instrument. And I tried to follow the sound, and I came to a little brook, a little streamlet, beautiful water, sparkling blue. Mm -hmm. And I said, it has to be coming from there. I walked over and looked down into that stream, and I, I saw what were rows of jewels. And they were positioned so that as the water fell over them, it made music. You've seen a music box, they go doing, doing, <laughs> make music. That's the principle. And I was flabbergasted. Like a wind chime, only it's a water chime. Wind chime, yeah, right. That's the idea of it. This is in your, within your chamber? This is in this chamber, which I later understood to be my chamber. I didn't know at the time what it was. I had no idea, see. But uh, then, then these, these two beings that I saw, they looked at me. Boy, did I feel terrible. See, the beautiful light could shine right through them and, and make them beautiful color. But here I was, this opaque, putrid... <laughs> you know, Isaiah said, Lord, I'm not fit to be in this place. And the angel said, wait, wait, I'll get a coal of fire and touch it to your lips. Purify. Purify his lips. And that's, that must be the way I said I felt, really felt terrible in that place. But later on, I found out that that was my mansion, see. Let's go to the front of the mansion where it looks out into the area which we've described as the most holy place, the place in front of God's throne. The front of it is like a big window. But it's not, uh, there's no window there. You can step right out. Outside is a rainbow pathway. It's sort of called spiral. It spirals up. You find this description also in Ezekiel about the temple. And uh, you're looking out, you see God on his throne. From your chambers, you can see God. Yes, from all the chambers, you can look out and see God. 
Now, in the front of the chamber, in what we call the front room, mm -hmm. there's the best I can describe it as a bean bag. I'm glad somebody invented bean bags, so, <laughs> so, so I could describe this. Yes, <laughs> because see, it's, you just fall in it and it takes your shape, and there you can just relax and observe the face of God. And uh, the walls have these beautiful green and blue and wine tone tints in them, and it, it like cloud-like that can change, like wallpaper patterns, you know? Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. But let's go out now, and let's pretend now we're in the throne of God, standing with God in the throne, all right? We look back at the mansion, mm -hmm. and we see that there is a whole row of mansions, chamber mansions, and they reach about two-thirds of the way around, so that God on His throne can sit and look at all the people in the mansions companions in each chamber. Here we are back again, two companions, paradise, presence of God. Now a chamber is about, now again this is cubit measure, but in feet it would be about 15 feet high and about 25 feet wide. That's about the size of, the, of this chamber as you're looking at it, see? Now the throne of God, as we said, can be seen by looking out of the mansions people looking at God's face. In God's throne, he looks and sees the chambers. In front of the throne is a large oval area, I'd say 200 miles, I'm estimating, 200 miles long and about 75 miles wide. Now this is made out of sapphire jewels. I found this also in Ezekiel, describing the sapphires underneath the throne of God. And it's called a sea because it's blue mm -hmm. and because it's shiny. And it's called glass because it is actually made of sapphires, which represent glass. So that's the term sea of glass. In other words, it's not water. It's not the flowing of the Spirit of God. It's a rather solid place to stand. Is it like a reflecting pool? Does uh, it reflect anything or is it just... It would reflect the light of God, yes. Uh, however, it doesn't appear to reflect too much light. It just appears before God's throne. It's like a moving platform. Mm -hmm. It can be moved away for other activities. But it is a place where the saints of God appear before God's throne. And the prophets, I saw one time the prophets before God's throne, and they were talking to God. And I saw the, the martyrs who were saying, how long, O Lord, how long? All these things making me believe that Jesus is coming soon. Now, one time I was concerned about Jesus receiving something in exchange for dying on a cross for us. Because the Bible does tell us he'll see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Over there in Isaiah 53, I believe it is. And so I was allowed to see something in this center most holy place. It was about, I don't know the number, thousands of saints, I would say, were gathered in formation. Now, of course, they were dressed in their garments of praise. With the jewels on them. Right. And uh, they formed themselves into a cup, a regular cup, ordinary everyday cup, you know. And it seemed to have a, a base on it. And they, they sparkled. The light of God did sparkle off of their garments. Mm -hmm. 
And this was called the cup of love for Jesus. The cup of love. Cup of love for Jesus, because these saints were, it was a way of expressing their love to Jesus, mm -hmm. see? And it turned around slowly yes. as they praised and, him. And it, it you, know how the, you know how the earth turns on its axis? Mm -hmm. well, there's, there's a Greek word which means praise to God. Uh -huh. so, so this cup of love as it turns is praising God, see? And then the saints are, are raising their hands and, and the cup, you see the motion, their hands move in unison. And it, it's just a very beautiful uh, thing to see, to stand back and see it. But it's also a beautiful uh, activity to be in. It's uh, called an activity in the holy place. It's an activity of worship. Now, as this cup of love, it's presenting love to Jesus, it makes up to him something that he suffered. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup of suffering. Cup of suffering. Mm -hmm. So see, he described it as a cup. And he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as I will. And of course, if he hadn't died for us, we couldn't be Christians. We couldn't fellowship with no. him there. Right, we wouldn't be able to fellowship with him. But that suffering, of course, Jesus paid. The Bible says he paid something. And so in this cup, he's receiving it back again. He's receiving the cup. Right, he was buying the love of saints. He shall see of the travail of his soul and yes. shall be satisfied. Isaiah, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. This is his satisfaction. That, that is when he received satisfaction with the love of the saints he died to redeem. Beautiful story. It is. Mm -hmm. You talked about the river of life. All things life proceed from God. Is that where this river begins? That's right. <clears throat> That's right. The light comes from the throne of God and shines down through the city. Light. And also the river of life, which as we discussed before is actually the flowing of the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. It comes from the throne of God and then it flows through the mansions. It's that little river we talked, a little creek stream. <laughs> That's how it starts out, a little creek? It, it goes through the mansions, each mansion, right, down through all the mansions. And then when it gets to the bottom, it is, comes up in the fountains. All right, and then it falls down to basins and it's collected and it's gathered together and flows out into a river, which is rather small at the beginning. And the further it flows, the bigger it becomes. So the fountain that Lois experienced is part of the river of God. Yes, she was at the Garden of Fountains. Now we know where she was. Now we know where she was. Yes. <laughs> And this river flows in 12 circles through the holy place. Right. And, it, and then it flows out of the eastern gate, and it flows down to earth. And we don't see it here because we can't see spiritual things. And this is the love of God in our heart? Right. But we know it because we can feel the love of God. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the way the, the Bible says it. And we know it when that happens. Mm -hmm. Reverend Hedrick, you've told us a lot about heaven. You seem to know a lot about heaven. Well, sure, that's because I've been there a lot of times. You made a lot of visits, so that means visits, yes. you didn't learn it all the first visit. That's right. You don't get it all at one time. And you're sure there's more to learn. Oh, yes, yes, I believe so. Uh, this idea that when we get to heaven, we're going to know it all. 
That's not quite right. Does our knowledge come by just observing, or are there classes, uh, learning experiences? Every way, yes, by classes, by observing, by talking to others who know something they want to tell you, other people who've been in heaven a little longer than we have, perhaps. All of these different ways we increase our knowledge. First uh, Corinthians also says, uh, prophecy shall cease. In heaven, you don't need any prophecy. That's See? the culmination of all prophecy. Right. That's when everything's going to be fulfilled mm -hmm. and perfect. But it does not mean that we have all knowledge at one time. Even after we get to heaven, as much time as we've spent on earth reading the Bible, we're still going to be able to learn when we get to heaven. But it's a good thing to do as much as you can here, you know. In preparation. In preparation. Because we can't be rewarded for something that we do up there. We're rewarded for our works on earth. There are different glories in heaven, too. Different uh, spheres of existence. In other words, the Apostle Paul really suffered in the service of God. And a person who just lived a nominal life and didn't care about serving God, mm -hmm. he can't expect to go to heaven and be like the Apostle Paul. I mean, the Apostle Paul himself explained it this way. Uh, there's different glories, like the brightness of the moon, the brightness of the stars, the brightness of the sun. Mm -hmm. He said, so is also those who are resurrected from the dead. There's different glories. And by different glory means to shine. Yes. They actually shine brighter so that those people in the outer environs could not behold a being from the, for instance, most holy place, a person who goes into the most holy place. He'd be very bright to appear to those people. Well, can a person who now exists in the outer environs, can that person learn more or increase his stature to enter into a, another place with God there? Yes, as they increase and as they learn. But there's some, some barrier that can't go beyond. I believe it's the fact that they have no rewards because they didn't do any work. Now, everybody gets a golden crown. Everybody and, gets eternal yes. life. Yes, and that's, that's the sign of eternal life, a golden, a golden crown. crown. And they're all golden. Uh, that's one thing I learned. I thought maybe some were silver, but they're all, all golden. golden. Uh -huh. All crown. Even Jesus' crown is golden uh -huh. in heaven, yes. And, but they don't have, like the bins of jewels, to give gifts to other people, see? Mm -hmm. And then the, as they increase in, in stature and glory, they may come in, live in the, the holy place, see? The biggest place that there is outside the environs. When you're inside the city, this is a big place. And uh, then they increase in glory, they go into the most holy place. So a person who resides in the most holy place spends most of his time there person who resides in the holy place will spend most of their time there. Mm -hmm. Now they do go back and forth, see, but a person with more glory, more brightness, spends more time in the presence of God. So to achieve eternal life, we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Right. We're washed in the, in the blood of the Lamb. Of to achieve rewards in heaven, we do works for God here. Right. We must serve the Lord here. If we don't, we cannot make up for it. As I will repeat, we cannot make up for it in heaven. No, sir. You can't say, God, I meant to do more. Right. Intentions will not... <laughs> intentions not amount. I didn't mean to be lazy. Right. I didn't mean to be lazy. You can't do that. No, can't do that. 
It has the work has to be done here. Once you're there, you're there. Right. Jesus said, uh, "Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every person according to their work." That's Revelation twenty-one and twelve. To give every person according, according, according to, their to their work. work. Right. And no matter what each person gets, each person is completely happy. And there's a lot of laughter and and happy fellowship in heaven. Oh yes. Everyone so, is is happy with what right. they receive. I forgot to mention when we were by the tree of life and the crystal river, it and seems that and yes, and everybody is laughing. It's a hilarious place, pardon <laughs> the expression, really, that people are just always enjoying themselves. Just everything is perfect and beautiful, and the more we enjoy ourselves, the more our Creator enjoys Himself. See, He didn't make us to be robots. He gave us a willpower. And when we say, God, I love you because I want to, mm -hmm. God accepts that. See? If we say, God, I don't want to love you, we've got to suffer the consequences, of course. But when we say, God, I want to love you, that's what he wants. There is an interesting uh, part here. When God made man, he used what I call the cubit system. Uh, now, the cubit system measures man in six measurements, like one finger, two palm, three span, four foot, five cubit, and six fathom. So man has six measurements. Fathom is from head to toe. Right. right. Okay. And he was created on the sixth day of creation. So man's number is six. It's nothing to be upset about. That's a fact. That's our or number. Or excited about. Or excited about. Right. <laughs> and, but the number of heaven is twelve. So you have twelve gates. 12 angels, 12,000 furlongs, and 12 foundations. So these, these numbers are reference to the city of heaven. It so happens that in the cubit system, man, the number of man six, fits perfectly into the cubit system. The number 12 fits perfectly into the cubit system because God made both. Mm -hmm. And so God made man for the city. He made the city for man. And it is important for us human creatures to know that it was God's intention. He built a beautiful city for us to go to. And we should, by all means, press on, as the Apostle Paul did, press toward the mark for the prize of the upward calling of God to that beautiful place. It's God's intention that we live with him. It is God's intention that we live with Him, and He has made it beautiful. The problem on this earth is that we are tempted by the forces of evil, and God will not violate our willpower. If we don't want to go, we won't go. We must want to. But here's God pleading with us. Jesus gave His life. He said, greater love has no man. And yet some of us decide not to go. It grieves God's heart. But those who do decide to go have a wonderful reward awaiting. Will be pleasing in God's sight. And let me tell you, there's a song that says, Tell your troubles to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell the people that we sing to, I say, You talk to Jesus when you're happy and watch him make you happy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Love the Lord with all of your heart 
soul, mind, and strength. Right. Reverend Hedrick, you have shared with me and our viewers the joys of heaven. Yes. I'm excited. So am I. And I know they are too. Yes. In conclusion, are there any other thoughts you would like to share with our friends? Yes, I would. Mm. Friends, I've done my best to tell you the joys of heaven. And uh, I'm going there myself. I'm planning on it. And I know that the only way to go there is to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord and follow Him and with all my heart seek after Jesus. We know by looking at the signs of the times that Jesus is coming soon. Sure, I know. I've heard this all my life. Jesus is coming soon. But all you have to do is look at the newspaper, watch the news, and you know that something has to happen soon. God has got to step in soon and do something. Now, I want you to be ready. I want you to know Jesus as your Savior. You must do this in order to be ready. Would you meet me in heaven? I'd like to see you there. Yes, I would. As you have heard, you can inherit and share the glorious riches of heaven with God. All you have to do is accept his way. But some folks have a funny idea that there are a lot of different ways to God. Well, just as we have only one earthly father, there is only one God and only one Savior who reconciles men with God. Other religions don't get you to heaven because they don't deal with sin. If sin remains in our soul, the spirit dies. And only when sin is cleansed away by the blood of Jesus Christ can the spirit live. This is the only way we are accepted by God and can go to heaven. God has allowed a grace period during which he saves souls who are willing to accept his way. But time is short. The enemy realizes time is short too and is mounting an all-out assault against God's children and all of mankind. An example is the New Age movement, a movement that is successfully deceiving millions of people and is the most prominent activity of Satan at this time. This movement declares that we humans have the potential to be God ourselves, to become like God. They say since man is God, there is no higher God, therefore no heaven. But do you remember the first lie Satan used to deceive the human? He said, you will be like God. Now it's a sad fact that much of humanity is still being fed this lie and is following blindly after it. As God made the division between light and darkness, day and night, there is a heaven and a hell. And we must have a definite, unwavering faith in Christ and a strong hope of heaven. Matthew 13 verse 44 states that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We have the glorious opportunity of investing our complete hope in the treasure of heaven. John 2.15 says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
But some believers argue that placing too much hope in heaven will result in a sort of escape from this world. A fantasy that perhaps would not be healthy. Perhaps so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. But E.M. Bounds once so beautifully wrote, the best citizen of heaven is the best citizen of earth. You are a child of God, and so being you overcome the world. We are partakers of Christ's victory and triumph of sin and death. We are not going to perish in Jesus, but we'll find a new beginning of everlasting joy and happiness. So seek your rightful heritage. Fight the good fight. Labor for heaven and its imperishable riches, and we'll all meet in heaven.